0: what a privilege to be with you this morning I'm coming to you from a very humble posture and I wanted to share that by way of introduction 28 days ago tomorrow I went in for a routine hip replacement and I wanna just make this as a confession to you I went in with a real arrogant perspective Um, there's actually a website for runners who have hip replacements and you can go read about some other things and the doctors were telling me one thing and nurses in this website was telling me another and I just had it in my mind that I was going to be a trendsetter Um, I had a a a triathlon on in my basement where our workout area is. I had it on the wall uh, uh, so that I could goal my goal would be to do that in um, in September. I was planning to preach on July 9th here. And I just went in with this wrong attitude, candidly, that I was gonna handle that. And what I didn't realize is that my hip and my, my all of our bodies have these little differences. And my artery and my hip is uh, in a different place than where your artery is my artery was, is, is right where the incision for the surgery is. So that when the doctor, the surgeon, Dr. O, went in to start the surgery, I was obviously not aware of it, but I just started bleeding like crazy, cut an artery. And, um, and so I just wanna make sure that this has a context, that I read a list from our, our compassion pastor this morning of people in our church who are suffering. And what I've gone through is nothing compared to what I'm reading about with tumors and cancer and everything. And yet, in my, from my little vantage point of my world, instead of being in the hospital for a day and a half, I was in the hospital for four days. I had a couple blood transfusions, and my platelet counts got wacky. Um, and so the result of that has been that for the last four weeks, I've had an exhaustion, I've had a lethargy, I've had an inability to get ahead of my thoughts, I've had an inability to drive. The the most common greeting that I've received in the last month is, wow, you look really pale. (laughs) On on July 8th, I I had to do a wedding, I'd already committed to it. And as I, as I was going in to do the wedding, a friend of mine looked at me, she said, Dale, you just look terrible, are you okay? And she meant well. But as I'm leading the groomsmen out, I've got this lady's face in my mind going, you look terrible, you look terrible. <laughs> and, um, and I did. Uh, and, and even during that wedding, I had to keep going to the notes because I, I could not remember. The bride and the groom's name, I kept you know, I, I just. it was just a very spacey time. And then I just, in God's great mercy, earlier, about a week and a half ago, you know, think about how many sermons there are on the internet, right? You can get yeah, so many sermons. Well, I've been memorizing 2 Corinthians 1, and after I get done memorizing a portion of it, I'll either go to a commentary or a sermon to listen and see if what I've been meditating on meshes with what Alistair Begg or John Piper or somebody like that and um, I like to do it after I've done my own thoughts. So I decided I'd listen to an Alistair Begg sermon on Second Corinthians 1. And God in his mercy of all the millions of sermons, this was a sermon by Alistair Begg that he preached a week after he had had surgery and it just really touched me and it brought me low and he, he quoted some thoughts and these thoughts were from Spurgeon and so there's kind of a Spurgeon beg commentary and I just want to share with you what what I've been learning in the last month because I think it brings me to a posture to preach today that is different than if I hadn't gone through this little, little trial Spurgeon said that sickness and pain teach us our nothingness. When we are healthy, we think we have the world by the tail. It's it's possible to enlarge our sense of self-esteem. When we're sick in the middle of the night, alone, it's impossible to deny that we are helpless and feeble. When we are sick, our feebleness becomes conspicuous. Spurgeon said this, he said, how I have felt dwarfed and diminished by pain, sickness, and depression. I felt a sense of being dwarfed and diminished. Spurgeon said, talking about himself, the preacher to thousands could creep into a nutshell and feel himself smaller than the worm which bore the tiny hole by which he entered. That's pretty small, isn't it? Another thing Spurgeon said that really struck me, it said, most pastors are far too great in their own estimation. And often God uses sickness and heartache to point out what others in their congregation already know. <laughs> <laughs> and he also said, last quote, a soap bubble, think about this, a soap bubble has a scant measure of material for it, in it for its size. And most of us are after the same order. It's greatly for our good to be reduced to our true dimensions. And I'm just speaking to you today with a sense of my own true dimensions. And maybe that means that God will speak in a voice that's louder than mine. And with that, let's pray. Father, this is an amazing story And there's so much into it. I can't thank you for how many times this sinful woman has been used by your spirit to turn my heart back to Jesus. We just praise you for this time to gather for a half hour and listen to your word and ask that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well. This passage is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, and it's very easy for each of us this morning to massage it into our souls. I also sense that this sermon series we're doing this summer on evangelism, I'm sensing at North Indy, I'm sensing at Fishers, and I'm sensing in our own midst that God is really doing something. God is blowing an awakening into College Park in terms of evangelism being part of who we are, and and part of something that gives a continuation in our lives. And so in this story, we're going to look at it and hopefully make some applications to evangelism, but more than anything, applications into our own soul. So in this story, there are three characters. Jesus is the hero, Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman. And the main theme of this story is forgiveness. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to have have an outline to follow in this, guys, I don't know if this is working or not, so if you could move it for me, the first point would be the beauty of forgiveness, and the second point would be the cost of forgiveness, and the third would be the scope of forgiveness. And that's what we'll look at here in the next few minutes. So let me just take you through a little bit of this at the beginning in terms of the characters in the story. There's a man named Simon, and he's a religious leader. He's one of the elite in the culture. And he has heard the stories of Luke 4, 5, and 6 of all the things that Jesus has been doing. And so Simon invites Jesus into his house, and the purpose for the invitation is to find out more about Jesus who he is and so back in that day and I think maybe some of you know this but Simon would there would have been a house and in the center of the house was a room and in that room there would have been a table that was probably shaped like an L And there would have been pillows on the floor and the people would have sat, the people who were invited would have sat around that table and they would have had a meal together and it would have taken a lot of time. It would have been a huge event. One of the things that I noticed when I got to travel overseas in Peru and Nicaragua and Africa is when you did come to a town and you did have an event, how many people from the town would just come and watch. And that same thing would happen in that day because there wasn't a lot going on so if somebody had an event uh, others who weren't invited would just come and sit and stand around the table and it was the culture of the day that because people were walking in a very hot climate and it was dirty and dusty that when they came to your house there's certain things that you would do you would offer to have their feet washed by a servant there would be a little, a little bowl of cologne that you should offer, and the person would take it and sprinkle it on them to cover up any of the sweat and things that had happened, even sometimes offering a robe. You'd offer a second a, a jar that would clean their hands. And in some cases, you'd even offer oil that they would take and wipe over their head. And that was part of the hospitality of today. And it's interesting that Simon offers none of that to Jesus. And so, Simon is in his house, and Jesus is a guest, and there's others, and they're, on the, they're sitting on the ground around pillows, and they're eating, and this sinful woman hears that Jesus is in the house. You know, one of the, one of the realities of being a pastor in our culture is you deal with a lot of people who don't understand their sexuality in the context of how God has made them as image bearers. And this woman falls into this category. And I can't tell you how many times people have come into my office and they've been broken. Our old pastor used to say about the seventh commandment, not committing adultery. He said, you don't violate the seventh commandment. You don't break it. It breaks you. And I've had times where I've just handed one Kleenex after another to a person who's been addicted to the wrong things and has given up his family and lost and gone through such pain. And this woman in this story, without knowing a lot of details, we know that she has been through a lot of pain. And she's been through a lot of isolation. And she's tried to find fulfillment in men She's tried to find it in different ways and it's always led to deep loneliness and isolation. And then this woman met a man who was different than any other man she'd ever met. She met the man, Jesus. And he listened to her in a different way and he treated her with dignity and he showed her respect and he saw her as an individual and a human being and an image bearer and he spoke into her life and he brought her out of her shame and she fell in love in a really good way with Jesus. And so she comes into the room. She hears about Jesus. She runs home, grabs this bottle of perfume or oil or cologne, and she comes into the house, and she stands behind Jesus, and she sees these dirty feet, and she thinks about her life apart from him, and then she thinks about her life with him, And she's just so overwhelmed with a love for this person, this human being named Jesus, who's looked at her, listened to her, talked to her differently than anybody else. And as she stands there, her tears start to fall, and they just start plopping on the dirty feet of Jesus. And that's not enough for her. Then she gets down on her knees and she takes this bottle and she breaks it and somewhere in one of the passages i think it was worth almost a year's salary is very valuable and just think about this where did this woman get money for a year's supply of perfume and yet jesus accepts that even from this woman and he she pours that on his feet And she begins then to do something which I guess in that culture women always kept their hair up and they never let it down. And she lets her hair down and she starts just this, I just love this picture of this woman who loves Jesus so much that she's just forgotten about everybody else around her and she's on her hands and her knees maybe even laying flat. She's poured a year's worth of perfume on the dirty feet of Jesus. She's using her hair to wipe it and then she begins to kiss his feet and her tears are are getting into his feet and her saliva and everything else that's coming out of her. And she's just worshiping Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, except Simon doesn't see it that way. Simon is looking at Jesus and he says, you know what, if Jesus knew that this woman was such a sinner, he wouldn't let her be touching him. And it's interesting that Jesus' response to that is that he knew what Simon was thinking. He proved he was a prophet because he knew what Simon was thinking. And he said, Simon, I have a story to tell you. And Simon says, what is it? And Jesus says, there's one man and he owned like 50, we'll just use this, $50,000 to a banker. And another man owned $50 to the banker. And the banker forgave the 50,000 and the banker forgave the 50. So both debts have been forgiven. And he said, who is the one who will forgive? Who's the one who's going to be the most grateful for forgiveness? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one whose debt is bigger. And Jesus said, that's right. The point, listen, guys, the point in the story isn't that the woman is a greater sinner than Simon. That's not the point of the story. Because Simon was such a sinner that he didn't recognize the love of God when it was sitting across the table from him. He was so sinful that Jesus, the the, the son of God, was across the table from him and he couldn't recognize who he was. The point is that the woman saw her need and Simon didn't. And then Jesus does this contrast that you've been looking at for the past few minutes. But Simon offered no water and the woman wet Jesus' feet with her tears. Simon offered no towel and the woman dried Jesus' feet with her hair. Simon offered no oil for Jesus' hair and the lady poured perfume on his feet. Simon was proud and judging, and the woman was humble and scandalous. You know, there's something so beautiful about a person who really understands their forgiveness. I remember a friend of mine named Larry who became a Christian in my office. He went through the membership class and he wasn't a believer, so we he said, "Hey, Larry, come back tomorrow and let's talk about what it means to be a member, for he'd be a member of, Jesus, of the church to be a member belonging to Jesus Christ." And he came into my office, and we talked about sin and grace and faith and the cross and repentance. And it all made sense to him, and the next week he went into church and he worshiped, and he came out of church, and he said, that was the best experience. I couldn't believe it. Would it be okay if I went back and went to the second service? He was so eager. It's a true story. And there's just something so beautiful about people who understand how much they owe. One way we can be a witness to Jesus in our evangelism is to respond to him with gratitude like this woman and as we live out our lives, people will ask us for the hope that is in us. As we begin to understand the, 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 the scope of our forgiveness, which we'll look at in a minute, we're gonna be like that woman and we're not gonna care what people think. I'm sure that woman, before she met Jesus, was really driven by what people thought about or particularly men. And Jesus was able to change something in her so that she didn't care about others. And I love that sense of when we're not self-absorbed and we've forgotten about ourselves because of Jesus, and that way we can reach out to others. Another way that we can impact others in terms of evangelism in this context is, think about this, friends, we can do this as a church, is to talk about forgiveness, Talk about being forgiven with people. I had a therapist named Susanna who came to my house three times a week um, and helped me do some of these stretches and things. And I got to know her. She came nine times. And on the eighth time that she came, I started talking to her about forgiveness. And I said, what's the hardest thing in your life? And she said, the hardest thing in my life is to forgive some of my family members who've wronged me. And that just led to a wonderful chance to share with her about forgiveness. Be vulnerable, share forgiveness. It's also interesting, before we move to the next point, is everybody with me okay today? Are you guys, okay, all right. Uh, I, I can't really judge how I'm doing right now. So, um, um, but it's, in, it's interesting, think about this, it's interesting that Jesus is really trying to help Simon see his need. He's trying to help Simon see how much he needs forgiveness. And there's something in that for us as we interact with people. I've got neighbors who don't see their need for forgiveness. I talked to a young man yesterday who's 20-something, and as I talk to him, he's got all kinds of problems, but he doesn't see his need for forgiveness. It's also interesting that when someone like the woman does see her need for Jesus and her need for forgiveness, how gracious he is to her. That when we see broken people, that we should treat them the way Jesus treated this lady. And the last thing I'll say before we move to the next point is that so many times in my life, that's why I'm so excited, Eric knows this, I was so excited to stand up here and preach about this text. So many times in my life, over the last 25 years, when I felt separated from Jesus, far from him, not knowing how to turn to him, confused and alienated and feeling like I'm the only human on the planet. The picture of this woman weeping with relief as she hugs Jesus' feet has softened my heart and pointed me back to the Savior. Here's a good application for you, friends, this week. When you get a little lost throughout the day, Go back to this woman and remember her posture and remember like Jesus accepted her. Jesus welcomed her worship. He welcomed all of the brokenness that she gave her. This woman points to this truth. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every truly human aspiration. Everything that Dan Ambrose longs for, everything that Damien is wanting in life, every part of Rick Baum, every part of Ron Taroni and the Scott family, everything that we aspire to is found in Christ. And this woman is a picture of that. Second piece I wanna share with you is the cost of forgiveness. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I wanna just share with you a couple thoughts as an entry point into this. Jesus Christ was fully human. He was divine, but he clothed himself in humanity. Somebody explained it to me like if you had a $250,000 Maserati, just a car that would wow your socks off, and then it just got completely covered in mud. You'd still see the car, but you wouldn't recognize it as the Maserati that's worth a quarter million dollars. It's a bad illustration, but it kind of points to the fact of Jesus' humanity. He He was clothed in his humanity so that people at times didn't see his divinity. And so Jesus, as a human, didn't come into the world and as a three-year-old know everything. He didn't know, I'm going to go to the cross. He went the way route that we did. He studied the scriptures. He began to see himself in the scriptures. Then when he was 30, he got baptized with the Holy Spirit so that there was a a new level of knowledge and intimacy and at times God's spirit would empower him to do the miracles that the father wanted him to do but Jesus was a human who grew in his understanding of his ministry, that has helped me and so as Jesus went through life it began to he began to realize that God the father's plan for him was to go to the cross. Even early in John 3, Jesus is talking and he says, as he's talking to a whole bunch of people, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So as Jesus was reading about Exodus and Moses lifting up the snake in the desert, and as he studied everything else, he began to see, that's me. And so that when Jesus comes up to this woman and puts his arm around her and says, your sins are forgiven. I'm not speculating here that there was a weight of groaning deep within him. Because in order for Jesus to be able to say, I forgive you, He understands that every single transgression that woman has ever committed, He is gonna pay for. Your sins are forgiven. You go in peace. I will go to the cross. And I think that it helps, friends, us, to live and follow Jesus if we understand and we keep it fresh and we talk amongst ourselves about the cost of forgiveness. See, when David in Psalm 51, remember that Psalm, that's all about forgiveness. When David says, God, would you have mercy on me? He's asking that God will show it to David, but withdraw it to Jesus. Can you guys move the slide? Do we know what we're asking for when we ask God to forgive us. And like David, David was pointing towards something, and for us, it's going to be we're remembering something. And as your pastor, and as somebody that I want to do this in my own life, this is how I want us to be as a church. I want us to remember the cost of forgiveness, because we'll live differently. Let me just give you some examples of this, if the slide can turn. So in asking for mercy, we're remembering, instead of, I'm going to rephrase this, we're remembering that God showed it to us, but he took his mercy away from Jesus. In asking for God's unfailing love, we're remembering that God removed his unfailing, eternal covenant love with his son when he sent him to the cross. In asking to taste God's compassion when you come to him after you're failed, if you can remember that God refused his compassion to Jesus, that's going to have a different aspect on your life in terms of sins. In asking to be washed, you're remembering that the filth of your sin overwhelmed Jesus like a flood. In asking to know the joy of your salvation, you're remembering that Jesus, who was the eternal Son of Joy, became a man of sorrows. In asking that God will hide your face from your sins, you're remembering that Jesus' face was hidden from God. In asking that you not be cast out of God's presence, you're remembering Jesus was cast into outer darkness. The more time we spend thinking about the cost of forgiveness, that it was a personal cost of the Son of God so that we could go free, the more we will respond with deep gratitude. I remember when I was a little boy, one of the faults my parents and others would tell, out, tell about me was they said that I just would say, I'm sorry, like it was a get out of jail card. Like I would do something wrong and I would say, I'm sorry, And I would think that somehow that meant I got to go free. Any of you relate to that with your kids? That can become part of our theology if we're not careful. We can say, I just confessed it. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we don't take the time as people of God to remember every time we've sinned, that was put on Jesus, and we remember the cost of forgiveness that's gonna have a huge, huge impact on our lives. R.C. Sproul tells a great story. Uh, When he was beginning to be a professor, I think it was in Pittsburgh, and it was some kind of uh, class with a bunch of kids in it, like 150 freshmen. And he made an assignment that every Friday, they had to have a three-page paper due on this stuff that they'd written. And so the first week, it's like 150 people in the class, and 25, the paper's due Friday, 25 of the people haven't done their paper. And they said, oh, Professor Sproul, we are so sorry. We, we didn't make the adjustment to college very well, and there's other classes. Could you please forgive us? And he's like, all right, get your papers in, but don't let it happen again. The second week it happened, there were 50 students who came in and hadn't done their paper and they were like, oh, Professor Sproul, we're sorry. It was homecoming week and we had to work on the floats and there were all these other things we had to do. And he's like, okay, get the papers in, but don't let it happen again. You guys know what happens in this story. The third week, anybody want to guess? 7,500, sure, you're getting the ballpark right, more than ever came in, and they didn't do their paper. And R.C. Sproul had had it. He said, all right, if you didn't do your paper, you're getting an F. And from the back of the room, he heard three words. Anybody want to venture what he heard? Nice. That's not fair. And he said, Rick Baum, was that you that said it's not fair? And he said, it was. And he said, if I recall, Rick, were you the one that didn't do your paper the first week or the second week? And Rick Baum said, yes. And R.C. Sproul said, if you want me to be fair, I'll be fair. I'm going to give you an F for week one, week two, and week three. And I don't know if you ever did that or not, but it's a great, great illustration that I've never forgot about how we assume that God owes us forgiveness and he owes us mercy. That woman didn't think she deserved God's mercy. Simon did. The last thing I want to share, we're about done. Thank you so much for your attentiveness. And if you guys could, is is there a way you could get that screen that says Isaiah 57 up? There's a great verse. The last part of this, and it's short, is the scope of forgiveness. When I say scope, I'm talking about the extent of forgiveness, the range of forgiveness, the breadth of forgiveness, the width, the reach, the sweep, the purview, the span, the horizon, the orbit of our forgiveness. Just stay with me for a few more minutes. Listen to this. This is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. One of the best ways that we can think about the scope of forgiveness is just by thinking about in the context of different things that happen. So if I'm having lunch this afternoon with Sarah... And I say, pass me the salt. And she passes me the salt, and I knock it over. And I spill the salt. And I start weeping. Sarah, I'm so sorry. I spilled the salt. I'm sobbing. She's looking at me going, what? You know, it's 10 grains. It's, it's fine. We have 10 salt, salt shakers. Because the, the response is not appropriate to the scope of the, the air. What if um, Kevin and I are supposed to meet at Starbucks and I don't show up and I don't call? That's a little bit of a bigger sin than spilling salt. What if I borrow a friend's Porsche and I wreck it and I total it? That's a bigger offense, isn't it? What if I borrow a friend's Porsche and his child is in it and I wreck it and they're paralyzed. Then then the scope takes a whole different dimension. Friends, Jesus Christ is the one in John 1 who says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him is life, and that life was the man. And then later it says, "This is the high and lofty one of Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us." Have you ever thought, when Jesus comes back and takes his his throne, it's possible that his throne, that one leg of it. Could be right here, right here. And the next leg could be by the Indianapolis airport. And the other leg of his throne could be in Beech Grove. And the other leg could be in Fisher's. And Jesus is on this throne that's a mile high the high and lofty one who's the sovereign king of the universe. And this is the one that we've sinned against. The scope is beyond measure. R.C. Sproul calls it cosmic treason. And we have forgiveness. Not because of anything we've done but because of God's heart for you. The, the application point is something we need to work on constantly. And here's what it is. Is your salvation, think about, just think, okay, I'm not condemning, I'm, thinking, I'm applying this to myself before you. Just look at my own life, Dale. In the last week, as I thought about Christianity and me, is my thought life in terms of what it means to be a Christian? Do I think more about Dale Shaw, or do I think more about Jesus Christ? When I think about following him, John Piper had something that really helped me in terms of the scope of salvation. I'm not trying to beat us up here. I'm just trying to need our thinking to to change. It says, if you could have all the gifts of Jesus without Jesus, would you be satisfied? If you could go to heaven and you'd have eternal life, you'd have an immortal body, your friends and your loved ones would be there, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be okay with that? I had to repent of that because quite honestly, I think I I would be okay most of the time. The scope of our forgiveness, friends, means that salvation is more about Jesus than us. The point of our forgiveness is more about Jesus than it is about us. As we understand the scope of forgiveness, it's, we think about His glory, His greatness, how undeserved it is. We have a heart like that woman. It's going to be pretty easy for us to share how great He is with others, isn't it? We're going to be a church at Castleton who's zealous in reaching out to others because of the impact that Jesus has has had on us. So let me just close with a short prayer and then we'll sing and we'll have a benediction. Would you just thank God for the beauty of the picture of that woman who's been rescued by Jesus and loves him and is kissing his feet, throwing her perfume on his feet, putting her hair there and just ask God to create in this church individuals who love Jesus that way. Would you ask God to help you this week to remember the cost of forgiveness so that we're not just glibly coming in, grabbing mercy, but we're remembering each time the price that Jesus paid and we're lifting up the Son of God as we do so. And then would you just continue to ask God for big thoughts and big views according to the Bible of who Jesus is so that the scope of your forgiveness becomes centered in God and not our own self and our own comfort. Would you ask God this week to just help you have a chance to talk about Christ with somebody? Just do it imperfectly, do it struggling, do it with shaky voice, but find yourself changed as you talk about Jesus. Find your faith getting filled as you boldly step out. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that's ours. Thank you for humbling me in the past month. Thank you for the beauty and the cost and the scope of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.